Well, let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer, then we'll get into the word of God. Father, we thank you for this privilege and this honor to be here this morning. We're grateful, God, for how you kept us and how you brought us here this morning. Even through the rain, God, you protected us on the highways and byways. We thank you that none of us experienced any accidents, God. We thank you, God, that you anointed this time and this place for us, that we might be here to gather ourselves together as a fellowship, to sit under your word and to hear from you. And God, this morning, we simply ask that you would speak, Lord. Speak to us this morning. Our tent doors are open. Our hearts are open. Our minds are open. Our ears are open. And our eyes are wide open. God, speak in this place. Lord, we need to hear a word from you this morning. And we simply ask that you be high and lifted up. That you move me behind the cross, Lord. That you would get glory. In fact, God, do it for your glory in this place. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For a few moments, I want to talk around the subject, everyone knows my name. Everyone knows my name. If you will, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to verse 25. The Bible says this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as they see the day approaching. Everyone knows my name. How many of you Remember the hit television series, Cheers. Cheers ran for about 11 years during the 80s and into the 90s. The story was set in a bar in Boston. The opening scene or the opening picture had literally the outside a real bar that's in Boston. And you can see it today if you visit it. But the storyline essentially was, it was a place 
Well, all these characters carried and gathered, but also a lot more than that. It's where people's lives happen. People come to be what they are and who they are. And of course, that television series kind of laid it all out there for us. And part of its success is that it touched the universal themes in people's lives. You remember the song that started each episode. I won't sing it to offend you, but there's one stanza. Somebody, somebody said, come on, Ryan, I, I ain't going out there. From that, from that theme song. <laughs> no, 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 don't put me out, no, no. <laughs> Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they always glad you came. You want to be where you can see the troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. We all remember that, right? You want to be where everybody knows your name. It's a great line, a great concept. It's what makes a great church, where everybody knows your name. God's church, our church, should be a place where everybody knows your name. A place where we can care for one another. A place where we love one another. A place where you're always welcome. A place where even if you're not there, people miss you. I tell you, you want to be where everybody knows your name. And at times, if other problems break out in your life, it's still a place where everybody knows your name. People long for a place and a group of people like that, where you can see the same faces, and of course, they know your name. Maybe you have had a donut and a cup of coffee with them in fellowship, or a lemonade or pretzel out on a lawn. We call that fellowship sometimes. But then we leave. And you say, wow, that was a good fellowship. What if I told you that there is something better? There is something greater than just having a cup of coffee and a donut or maybe a pretzel or lemonade on the lawn with someone and walking away and going back to your private life. What if I told you there's something better than that? Within the church, true Christian fellowship transcends any part of, it transcends any earthly relationship. Our text this morning will illustrate that to us. It's telling the teachers this morning that community knows our name. It's found right here in the verses that I read earlier. It's in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. The Bible says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness of the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near with true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from the evil conscience of our bodies washed with poor blood, with pure blood. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. The writer of Hebrews draws from an Old Testament Hebrew imagery. Here, the author is conjuring up the physical temple to make a spiritual application. The inner part of the temple, the sanctuary, the holies of holies, was off limits except for the high priest who would come in once a year and make sacrifices and sprinkle the blood of animals as a symbolic cleaning for the nation of Israel. A curtain separated that area from everything and everyone else. The point of this passage is that Jesus' acts acted as both high priest and sacrifice so that his, by his physical death and the sprinkling of his blood, he, was open, he has open access to us and to God. Amen. Amen. And those of us who are in Christ, because our hearts are sprinkled clean by his blood, we have bold access. We don't have to fear God's judgment. We don't have to cower in his presence. We can enter his presence boldly because we belong in his presence through Christ. That's good news to me because early this morning, while the dew was still on the roses, why, before the squirrels got up, before I heard chirping, I boldly went down into the presence of God, went into my prayer closet, did not have any hindrances. I could come boldly looking to the hills from whence cometh my help. That's good news, y'all. I tell you, those of us that are in Christ can come boldly into the presence of God. God has promised, and he is faithful. But now the author, this is where I want to bring our attention to, shifts slightly to make another application of this great gospel. The good news is that it brings us into fellowship and community with God. Notice what it says in verse 24 and 25. I want to stay around those Verses few, few minutes. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In these verses, you'll notice that as fellow believers, we are to be committed to each other. That brings us to our first point. Our first point is we are to be committed to each other's well-being. It's right there in verse 24, the eighth section. It said, let us be concerned about one another. Consider one another. Turn to your neighbor. Don't look at me. Turn to your neighbor. Turn to your neighbor. Come on, just an exercise real quick. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm concerned about you. <laughs> well, 
Y'all got it. Out of context, that can mean a lot of things, y'all. But here, what I want you to get down deep in your soul, just as we belong to Jesus, we belong to each other. I do believe that we are our brother's keeper. We ought to be concerned about one another. Can I get a witness? And if we belong to each other, we look out for each other. Two brothers, two brothers were fighting. And the two brothers were getting it in. And this man observed it from a distance. So I need to get in there and break that up. So the man stepped in and pulled one of the brothers off. The other brother got up and they both started beating the man. I tell you, we ought to be concerned about each other. Family matters. I tell you, my family matters to me. When I was growing up, we could fight each other all day, get on each other's nerves all day, but don't let somebody from the outside come messing with family. Can I get a witness? Family would gather up, and we call it swoop back then. We would have a fight in the middle of the street. Don't mess with my family. That's the truth. But that's how we ought to be in the house of God. Family sticks together. You got a problem with one of my family members. You got a problem with me. And yet, even more important than earthly family is my heavenly family. If you are saved, you are my brother and sister in Jesus Christ. And what that means, my sisters and brothers, is that it has eternal significance. And yet, church folks are notorious for treating their heavenly family with contempt. Yes, church folks can be indifferent. Somebody ought to say amen. You are an usher, or a hospitality, or a deacon, or just in your pew. Church folks can be indifferent. Being committed to each other means that we pray for each other. It means being generous with your time, talents, and money to the body of Christ. It means stepping into one of our small groups to give hope to the, to the overwhelmed. Maybe leading a small group to help shepherd God's flock. We're better when we're together and committed to the well-being of each other. You ever seen a church in division? You ever seen a church inward fighting? That's because they're not committed to one another. But I like this text because it goes on in our next verse here, verse 20, still right here in 24b, committed to the love and good works. It says right here in our text, to stir up love and good works, or better word, is to spur. Let us consider how we may spur one another. 
This word appears only once in the entire New Testament. It means to beg, to urge, to nag, to encourage, to appeal, or invite. It means all of those things. Let us beg, urge, nag, encourage, appeal, invite one another to hold to our feet, to help each other out, to reprimand one another sometimes. It says, uh, let us help each other out. Let's help each other to be followers of Christ and hold on to our faith. That's important, y'all, because we need each other. I need you, and you need me. And sometimes we waver and step away, but we need someone to come along the side of us to spur us on, to get us back into the path that God has called us to be in. So many times, people come in, we sit on the pew with them, and they leave. And nobody goes after them to spur them back on, to come back where God has called them to be. Stir up love and good works, or spur. Says to let us help each other out. Let's help each other be followers of Christ and hold on to our faith. That's what small group does. When we're sitting around in circles, we get an opportunity to spur one another on, to encourage one another, to invite one another, to hold on to your faith. No matter what's going on in your life, you have someone right in your circle that you can reach out to, they can reach out to you, and y'all can lock arms and walk through your situation. That's what small groups are all about. And that's what the text is telling the teachers. We ought to spur one another on. And when you're not there, that person in that room may, may, may be missing what you've gone through that they're going through right now, that you can spur them on, that you can encourage them to keep moving on. It's not over. Look at me. I am a witness and a testimony to what God can do. That's what small groups are all about. That's what it's about. That's why we get smaller. While we're here, I don't know. I can't see all your situations. I don't know what you're going through. But when we get smaller, when we get in a group, we can talk. We can get real. We can get 100. I can get to know you, and you can get to know me if you allow me to. And then I can walk with you. I can lead you. I can guide you. I can hold hands with you. I can share with you to help each other on. That's what it's all about, y'all. Do I have a witness out there? Anybody experience that in a small group? Amen. Have you ever noticed how critical commitment and good works are to any relationship? No relationship will ever go very far or very deep without commitment. The depth of your love is measured by the depth of your commitment. The depth of your love is measured by the depth of your commitment. That's what the Lord showed us. He was so committed to us that the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, God died for us. That's commitment, y'all. While we were still in our situation, 
he decided to be committed to go to Calvary on our behalf. That's commitment. The depth of his love was measured by his commitment. He was so committed that he would not come down off of that cross. That's commitment, y'all. That's commitment when he stayed down in that grave and got up with all power in his hand. That's commitment. But not only that, it was commitment that he rose up and sat down on the right-hand side of God the Father, and he makes intercessions for us still. He's so committed to us. That's commitment. (laughs) Commitment and good works are critical for any love relationship. We are in a time that people are mostly just committed to themselves. We're not buckets where God pours his grace to store it. We are broadcast spreaders, dispensing God's grace to other people. The picture is of you and I sitting down and strategizing how we might encourage one another to be more faithful. How do we look out? How can I look in the circles? How can I look in the body to help my sisters and brothers to be more faithful? I like this, y'all, because in our third point here, it says that we are to be committed to the gathering uh, to encourage one another. Hebrews chapter 10, 25 says, It's not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. When you show up on Sunday, when you come to small groups, your very presence have here encouraged the people around you. When you open your mouth to sing, you sing encouragement to those around you. When you praise the Lord, when you lift up your hands, clap your hands, shout and sing, it encourages folks around you. People, praise is contagious. When you start praising, somebody's like, man, they're excited. And I know what they're going through. They can praise what they're going through. I ought to throw up my hands too and praise the Lord. Praise is contagious. I love it when I see folks just start praising the Lord and it's just spontaneous praise. Folks ain't never lift their hands before and now lifting up their hands. That's contagious, Lord. That's encouraging. Amen. But not only that, when you praise the Lord, it's something that moves the body of God. You come to small groups. It encourages everyone. Not only because you need it, but also because you can encourage others and build them up. You come to worship and celebrate the victory God has given and to others. That encourages others. Come to small groups my sisters and brothers, because somebody needs a hug from you. Somebody needs a word from you. Someone needs you to walk with them. Someone is in desperate need of your friendship. Somebody is going through something that you're going through right now. 
Somebody needs to hear a word from the Lord. And you have what they need. That's why we should never forsake the assembling of ourselves. But not only that, there's a story of Jesse Owens in the 1936 Olympics, which was hosted in Berlin. Adolf Hitler was proud to host those Olympics. And he was hoping to show off his nation's superiority. That year, Jesse Owens jumped 26 feet, eight and a quarter inches, a record that would stand for 25 years. As he walked to the pit to make the jump, Owens saw a tall, blonde, hair, blue-eyed man taking practice jumps. Owens was a little nervous because he was a black man. And he was very aware of the Nazis' desire to prove their Aryan superiority over all the other races. The tall blind man introduced himself as, to Owens as Luz Long. He said, you should be able to qualify with your eyes closed. That was a great compliment to Jesse Owens. And definitely not what Owens was expecting. The German and Jesse Owens struck up a conversation. Long then made a suggestion. He said the distance before the takeoff board and just uh, play it safe. Take a little more inches back and just play it safe, which Owens did and easily qualified. Owens went on to set an Olympic record and, they, and earned four gold medals. The first person to graduate him was Luz Long right in the view of Adolf Hitler. Jesse Owens never met Luz Long again. Long was killed in World War II. Before Long was killed, he wrote a letter to Jesse Owens saying, someday, find my son. Tell him about how things can be between men on this earth. Owens later said, you could melt down all the medals and cups I have. And they wouldn't be a plaiting on a 24-carat friendship I felt for Luz Long. That's friendship outside the church. And that seems deep. But inside the church, we have something even greater. The best shot that we have of following Jesus. The best shot that we have of making it through the storms of life is with friendships with relationships. We need each other. And I understand why it doesn't happen. I've heard it over and over again. In these days and times, we're more connected than we ever been. We notifications every hour on our phones. Directly every minute, we get notifications. The latest news, weather, and sports. What friends are doing, pictures they posted, information at our fingertips. We all still feel disconnected. We know things about a lot of people, yet we have very few deep relationships. The reality is we all have some things that block us from having community, going deeper, going beyond the surface. I heard it several times 
over and over again. The matter we all can relate to is that these things hinder us from going deeper into covenant community relationships. Come here, busyness. I don't have time to get into deeper relationships because this is where you fill in the blanks. I have work. I have school. I have kids. I have special hobbies. I have the Eagles game. Uh-oh. I have special projects I have always been working on. You fill in the plate. Busyness. But this is the reality, my sisters and brothers. We make time for what we deem important. Amen. What's important to us, we make time for it. But not only that, what else flies to me is apathy. How many of us have not went deep uh, because we simply didn't want to? I'm not really interested in coming to a small group. I really don't want to go to dinner with them. I don't see the benefits of opening up to others. I'm not sure how much they really care about the whole community thing. Come on, am I the only one ever had those thoughts? But not only that, come here, vulnerability. A lot of us have questions that goes something like this. Is this really a safe place? If I tell them who I really am, will they still like me? If I tell them what I'm struggling with, they'll probably kick me out. I can't show them the real me. Some of you feel this way because you were hurt in the past when you showed them the real you. So we keep our relationship on a surface level because it's safe. The problem is, my sisters and brothers, life-changing community cannot happen when we're being safe. It can only happen when we don't let, it won't happen if we don't let people in our life. Life is tough, but the best shot we have to get through these love, life tough situations and to follow Jesus. The best shot we have of surviving through the storms of life is not trying to make it alone, but, but, but to grab on to someone, to walk with someone. So many of us are going through life all by ourselves and we're struggling in our situations over and over again. God wants to throw you a lifeline this morning. He's throwing it right out to you. You don't have to go through what you're going through by yourself. I'll tell you, when you go over there in that fellowship hall, there's all kinds of lifelines that you have to choose. Can't nobody make you be go to community or be in community. You have to decide within yourself. I've laid it out for you, but you have to choose if you want to be a part of community. Sadly to say, many of you will hear this word, and just like the Bible says in James, you will look at this word and see it and walk away and forget what has been said and go back into your isolated, lonely life all by yourself. I pray, 
I pray, my sisters and brothers, that you choose today that I'm going to be a part of community, not just for myself, but for somebody else. Somebody needs you. I need you. The church needs you. Hallelujah. But not only that, but not only that, my challenge to you is to take a chance. Reach out. Take a risk. Say no, no to something that's not important and say yes to community. Give it a shot. I'm not sure what your barriers are. I don't know what's keeping you from community, but I know you will, be, will benefit from having it. I know it's worth it. I know it's worth overcoming everything that's holding you back from doing it. John Orberg said this, the yearning to attach and connect, to love and be loved, is the fiercest longing of our soul. Our need for community with people and the God who made us is to the human spirit what food and air and water are to the human body. We need each other. We were created for community. We were shaped for community. All of our being desires community. All the things I've shared this morning are true. People need people. I need you, and you need me. We're all a part of God's family. I can't make it without you, and you can't make it without me. We're all a part of God's family. I need you, and you need me. You have something that I need, and I got something that I need to give. I need you in community. Hallelujah. I thank God that we have a place where we have this opportunity that we can participate in community living. That relationship of community is important. We ought to be relational people. I'll tell you, we live in a world when it's about me, myself, and I. But somebody needs you this morning. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for relationships. I've experienced it over my life that I've had relationships. When I was at my lowest point, when I was uh, uh, so messed up that those friendships came where I was, they didn't try to drag me along. They came right up under me and propped me up until I can start walking on my own. I thank God for friendships like that. I thank God for relationships like that. But you will never experience that kind of relationship. This morning, my sisters and brothers, until you fully embrace other relationships, that relationship that I'm talking about is with Christ. My final question to you this morning is it is relationships important to you? Well, it may be not important to you looking down your pews, but is your relationship with Christ important to you? Not just do you know some things about him, not just who he is, but do you know him? Is he in your life today? I want to be a part of a community that knows my name. And they're always glad 
you came. You want to be where you can see the troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Well, I got good news this morning. If nobody knows your name here, we got somebody that knows your name. And we desire to get to know your name in this church. I never forget, folks would line up and I would be in the back after preaching. And they were like, hey, Pastor, such and such, I, I really appreciate what you did. And I didn't know their name. You know, the cop out is, hey, sister, hey, brother, how you doing? Because we don't know their name. I pray, and I'm going to work on this. Maybe we need to put badges on or something. I know some churches put stickies on and put their names on there. It's something important about knowing your name. I, I, I desire to do this. There's some pastors, there's some preachers that can see someone and been there for 20 years. Oh, you Sister Jones, and you part of the Jones family. Your name is Mary, and your, your brother's name was John, and y'all used to come here 10 years ago. I don't have that talent, but y'all can help me. We can help each other, because every Sunday, we sit on the pews with some folks. We may wave to them and say hi to them, but we don't even know their name. In fact, on your pew this morning, if you don't know somebody's name, you want to ask them their name. So that's one person that they feel connected to. You ought to know each other's name. That is personal. I care about you. But I thank God that if nobody knows your name in this sanctuary, we got somebody who knows your name. I know he knows your name. Because he called my name one day when I was sitting up in a pew all the way in the back of a sanctuary. He was preaching, the man of God was preaching the word. He called me by name and called me down and called me in the fellowship. I know he knows my name. He, in fact, he knows your name. He knows exactly where you're at and what you're going through. In fact, he calls you by name. Hallelujah. He knows your name. That's good news to me. Can anybody get God some praises for that? He knows exactly what you're going because he walks with you and he talks with you and he tells you that he's your, your, he's your very own. I tell you, he knows your name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand and give God some praises in the sanctuary.